We came in Monday and had a chance to be with you guys yesterday and to hear my son preach, and it's always a joy to get to hear Jared preach. He's one of my favorite preachers and one of my favorite people, and so it was a joy to be here to hear the Word of God yesterday, and I'm honored this morning to have an opportunity to share with you. So if you'll grab your Bible and make your way to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, Mark's Gospel chapter 9, and I'm going to read for us verses 30 through verse 37. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. So you're making your way there. Let's stand together to honor God's Word, and I'll read those verses this morning. Mark 9, beginning in verse 30. I've titled this message, So You Want to Be Great. Mark 9 and verse 30. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. When he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little ones or children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. Let's pray. Bow with me if you would. Father, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to open the Word of God and to sit underneath it and to submit ourselves to it, receive instructions from it, Lord, to be changed by it. So we ask you to give us ears to hear, heart to receive, and a will to respond to what you're going to say to us today. For Lord, as we're in this place, Lord, as your people, our desire is to be used by you, to be greatly used by you, Lord, to have a holy ambition, to make a difference for you. Lord, so teach us how we can in our life individually, how we can in the ministries that you've given to us, we pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You may be seated. I think it is a good thing this morning for you to have a holy ambition and have a desire in your heart for God to use you to make a difference in his kingdom work in the world. I don't think God honors half-heartedness. I don't think God honors half-efforts. I think God wants us to put all of ourselves into what he's called us to do and to seek to do our best for him to make an impact for his kingdom work in the world. And so with that being said, how do we make sure that we're doing our best for him? How can we be greatly used by God and make an impact for the gospel and the ministry in the place that God has given to us? Several years ago, my wife and I went to Washington, D.C., and we were walking by the Washington Monument, this 555 feet tall, 50 stories high. There was a long line of people waiting to ride the elevator to get to the top. But there was no line waiting for the people who wanted to take the stairs to the top. 896 stairs exactly to go to the top. It was summertime. It was hot. So we stopped and stood there for a moment, and we saw the elevator. That's the easy way to the top, Uh, but it was a long line. And we saw no waiting to go the route of the stairs. So we decided, you know, it's hot today, and we're not really that interested in going to the top. So we walked right on. You know, when it comes to going to the top in the work of God being used by the Lord in a great way. There is no easy elevator ride. You've got to take the stairs. 
the stairs of service, the stairs of sacrifice, the stairs of surrender for God to use you. The disciples are having an argument about this very thing. They're arguing about which one of them was the greatest. It seemed like, you know, some people like to talk about the weather or, or sports or politics, but the disciples like to talk about which one of them was the greatest. They had this conversation at least three different times in the gospel as they bantered back and forth about which one of them would be the greatest. Now, it's interesting the context of how and this conversation takes place. There, Jesus is leaving Galilee, and his ministry in Galilee is coming to a close. He's making his way to Judea, through Jericho, and then to the last week of his life. And he's telling them as he's making his way to Jerusalem, the purpose for which he's going to Jerusalem. He tells them in verse number 31, the Son of Man will be betrayed in the hands of men. They're going to kill him. After his kill, he will rise the third day. This is the second time in Mark's gospel that Jesus had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. There I'll be betrayed. There I'll be crucified. And there I will rise from the dead. But they don't get it in verse number 32. It just goes over their head. They miss it. Think about it. Jesus is telling them about the greatest event in human history that he's going to the cross to give his life on the cross. And they're arguing behind him about which one's going to be the greatest. Now, if I was Jesus, I would say to these guys, listen, I put up with you long enough. You're off my team. I'm done with you. You don't get it. I'm finished with you. But he was patient with them. And he's patient with us. But when our minds aren't on the cross and we're not hearing what we should be hearing about sacrifice and about the purpose for which we're called to ministry, we can certainly get involved in lots of conversations that do not mean anything. So they're arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest. The desire to be great really is built into every one of us. We want to be great, at least in someone's eyes. I want, to be, I want Tess to think I'm great. I want my kids to think I'm great. I want my grandkids to think I'm great. I want my church to think I'm great. There is a built-in desire for us to be looked upon as someone who is significant and important. But the world's idea of greatness and Jesus' idea of greatness are, are totally two different things. The world says greatness is position, fame, authority, money, in the eyes of the world, greatness is the Prince Harry's, the movie stars, the sports stars, the media stars. Rich and famous people are viewed as great. You have to have a certain amount of people following you uh, on Facebook. and You have to be well known to be great. Now, some of the people that I mentioned may be great, but it's not because their position or their fame or their popularity. It's because they have a heart for God and a heart for other people. If you have the wrong definition for greatness, then you can never be great. And the disciples at this point have the wrong definition of greatness. And so much so in chapter 10, Jesus says the Gentiles look upon those who rule, who are in great authority. They look upon them as the great ones, but it will not be that way with you. The Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is going to teach the disciples there is the wrong way to look at greatness and there's a right way to look at greatness. So Jesus did not say there's no such thing as greatness. He just gave a different definition of greatness. And here's the definition he gives of greatness. If you're going to climb the stairs to greatness, step number one, you have to be humble toward God. Be humble toward God. I find this in verse 33 through verse number 37. We're told in verse 33 they reached the home in Capernaum, probably Peter's home, it seems to be the headquarters where Christ was in Capernaum. They reached the home. I imagine them, as they go in after their journey, they're washing their hands, they're taking off their robes, washing their feet, and they're, maybe they're digging in the refrigerator looking for something to eat. 
And Jesus says to him, what were you talking about on the road as we were making our way here? He didn't ask them that because he did not know. He asked them that because he wanted, to be on, he wanted them to be honest. So he says, what were you talking about on the road? And I thought to myself, uh-oh, busted. Their disagreement and their pettiness was known to Jesus. Our disagreement and our pettiness is known to Jesus. Now, we're told in verse 34, they kept silent. They were too embarrassed. They're sitting there, I can imagine, just kind of kicking the ground, just looking around, and, and they're just kind of embarrassed, and they got really kind of quiet, and they don't answer Jesus. They're, they're, they're sheepish looking. They're, they're embarrassed. And so Jesus sat down in verse 35, and he's going to do two things. He sat down. That's what teachers did in the New Testament. As you know, they sat down. They're going to get down to business. He's going to teach. He does two things. First of all, he gives them instructions. In verse 35, here are the instructions Jesus gives. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So you're arguing about who's going to be the first, who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be number one, who's going to be the greatest of all time, who's going to be the goat, who's going to be the guy. If you're arguing about that, let me tell you who the greatest is. The greatest is the one who puts others first and who serves others. That's what greatness is. Humble yourself before me, put others first, and serve others. The book of Proverbs says this in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, when pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. These guys are disgraced. Why are they disgraced? Because at the root of their conversation is the idea of pride, the wrong kind of greatness. James says this in James 4, 6, that God resists. The idea is stiff-arming. God resists. God pushes back on the prideful, but God gives grace to the humble. So pride will cost us in ministry, cost a pastor, church planner, missionary, whatever vocation you may go in. Pride costs us to seek position and recognition for all the wrong reasons. So Jesus says greatness comes from putting others first. If you desire to be first, you shall be Last. Now, this can only happen, as you know, if you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. But they're not taking up their cross. They're trying to climb the ladder because they hadn't taken up the cross. See, putting others first is not our natural inclination, is it? Putting others first is a struggle for all of us. We're born with a sinful nature that wants to be first, the selfish. Have you ever seen a toddler two-years-old, three-year-old kids in the, in, in playing with toys saying, here, you can have the toy. Or, 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 here, you go down the slide first. No. Why? Because that's not their nature. And as we grow up, that's not our nature. We still want to put ourselves out first. And Jesus says, no, you need to be selfless and serve others and put others in front of yourself. Jesus says greatness is putting others first. Greatness is doing the difficult job no one else is willing to do. Greatness is listening to someone else's concern rather than doing all the talking. Greatness is discovering a need somewhere and stepping up to meet that need. Greatness is not seeking attention, but finding someone who needs a little attention and giving them that attention. Philippians 2.3 says, In humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's got to be at least one of the reasons that Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever walked on the earth, the greatest preacher, because John the Baptist figured this out. John the Baptist had this. He said, I must decrease, he must increase. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to bow down and undo his sandals. He's so great, I need to step away and fade away 
and put him first. And Jesus said, John the Baptist was, was the greatest. Think about how this will help your marriage. Think about how this will help your relationships, how this will help in your church if you preferred others instead of yourself. Greatness is putting others first. Greatness is serving also because he says that we are to put others first. And then he says in verse 35 also, and servant of all. Is it not true this morning the greatest person ever walked on this earth was Jesus? Yes. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. We were held in the grip of sin. We were kidnapped by Satan and sin, and Jesus paid the ransom on the cross. He gave his life's blood, took our place to provide us freedom from sin, to provide salvation for us. He met our greatest need. He was a servant that served us by meeting our greatest need. Philippians 2.2 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God did not think it robbery to be equal to God, but made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He saw our great need. He stepped up and served us like no one else could serve us by giving his life a ransom for many to purchase our salvation. Thank God he did serve us in a way that no one else could serve us. And he's our example that... The greatest person who ever lived, who did the greatest things that ever been done, is example for us to serve other people with the giftedness that he has given to us. To know the truly great people in the, the church I pastor, I think about this, to know the truly great people are the people who are doing business at the changing table on a Sunday morning, who are greeting at a door, who are visiting in a nursing home, who are teaching, teaching an English second language class, who are doing ministry in the prison, who are showing hospitality to strangers who just moved to our town, missionaries in places that are hard to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, people who are greater, people who have an attitude of service, who are serving other people like Jesus served other people. By the way, everybody's serving somebody. Even unsaved people are serving the devil, are serving, serving sin, they're serving somebody. Bob Dylan sang this years ago, you may be an ambassador to England or France, you may like to gamble, you may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you've got to serve somebody. You may be a state trooper, you may be a young Turk, you may be a head of a TV network, but you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Don't serve yourself, don't serve insignificant things, serve the only one that deserves your service, and that's Jesus Christ. To be great, you've got to humble yourself toward God. So he gives instructions. Then he gives, he gives illustration. His illustration is a child. There's a child there in the home in verse um, 36. It's a toddler. It's a little boy. He's small enough that Jesus can pick him up. So he picks the little boy up in his arms. And he says in verse 37, whoever receives one of these little ones in my name receives me. Who receives me, receives not only me, but receives him that sent me. He's used as a little boy as an illustration in Jesus' day in the Hebrew culture, though kids were loved, they were considered to be the smallest and most powerless in that culture. So he picks this child up and says, if you're going to be great, got to be like this child. Have no standing in the eyes of the world to receive those who are marginalized, those who others look down on, those who others consider powerless, children, orphans, disabled, the destitute. Receive them in my name. It's like receiving my Father, if you want to be great, receive these who are considered to be least and the last and the lonely. Receive them. The disciples didn't get that. 
Because in the very next chapter, they bring little children to Jesus, and, and the disciples say, no, 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 he's too great to receive little children. He's too, he's too important for this, and Jesus is so important. He says, no, let them bring little children to me, for such is the kingdom of God. I think what he's trying to tell us is, receive the least like this child, you're actually receiving me. Greatness in the eyes of God for me and for you is to take the lowest place, seek no rep- Recognition for ourselves, serve others, show concern for the weak and helpless. Everything we have is a gift from God, right? And one of the ways to show gratitude is by receiving those that are less fortunate and overlooked at times. That means caring for children. It means caring for them in a Christ-like way. Loving them, protecting them, teaching them inside, outside the church. Showing compassion for orphans and street children around the world. Even if God lays on your heart to adopt a child to show concern and love for those who are caught up in sex trafficking and and get involved and serve the least and marginalized and pushed aside. If you want to be great in the eyes of God, Jesus says, be like this little child. Receive those like this little child. So if you want to be great, and I would hope you do, first of all, be humble toward God. Second of all, if you want to be great, be gracious toward others. Be gracious toward others. Now, Jesus continues this his message to his disciples. And in verse 38, he's continuing to talk. And John, John butts in in verse 38. Look at verse number 38. He says in verse 38, Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, when I read verse 30, I thought, well, Jesus is just talking about receiving a little child. It's like, where did this come from from John? You ever been talking to somebody and you're in a conversation on a certain subject or, and you're talking all of a sudden somebody brings up something random. You're like, well, where did that come from? That's the way I felt like it must have been in this conversation. John says, oh, uh, by, by the way, Lord, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we stopped them. Now, the only thing I could think to connect this would be when Jesus said, receive a child in my name in verse 37. So John said, oh, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. Three times in this passage, we read in Jesus' name, cast out demons in Jesus' name, receiving a child in Jesus' name, giving out a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. So John connects those and says, we saw someone casting out a demon in your name and we stopped them. Now, I think that John probably expects a pat on the back. Like, that was a good job, John. You should have done that. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if they're doing this in my name, Don't stop them if they're not against us. They're for us. Don't stop them. What he's saying is, Jesus' team is bigger than you think it is. And so he says, this guy doesn't follow us is what John says. That means he's not in our team. He don't go to our church. He's not in our group. And he's been successful casting out demons. I think maybe earlier... When they came off of Mount Transfiguration, they tried to cast out the demon. They couldn't do it. So they may be a little embarrassed. This guy's casting out demons and we can't do it. And so maybe there's a little jealousy going on there. But he said, we stopped him from doing that. And Jesus said, don't do that. Because assuredly, if he's doing it in my name, he's doing a work for me. He's not against us. Don't stop him. It's a dangerous thing for any of us to assume that God approves only of the work that we're doing. 
So he says, don't stop him. He's not against us. He's trying to serve the Lord, though he's not a part of our particular team. He's doing a work for Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about, I want to say this quickly, I'm not talking about somebody who's against the fundamentals of the faith, salvation by grace through faith, or cleanse the clear teaching of the Word of God and the inspiration of the Scripture. I'm talking about people who do things different than us. Maybe their traditions are different than us. Maybe they, they have marginal things that are different than us. Unless you're given spiritual oversight, it's not your job to be trying to put yourself in somebody else's business and trying to be, be God's policeman. Don't fight against the wrong enemy. The devil's big enough to fight against, right? We got an enemy. Don't fight against each other because somebody does something a little bit slither different than you do. God's team's bigger than you think it is, so show some grace. God's going to use you. You have a gracious spirit toward people and don't oppose people and fight against things that don't matter and you get yourself in all kinds of situations. Amen. I'm, can I have to amen my own self if nobody else will say amen? I'll just amen my own self. That's good for me, and, and that's good for you as well. If the gospel's being preached and sin's being opposed, the devil's kingdom's being pulled down, then though we would not join that group, we wouldn't join that church, we wouldn't become part of that group, we don't think like they do or believe like they do. And listen, by the way, if, if I believe, Lord help me, if, if I didn't believe that Baptists interpreted the Bible close to any other denomination, I'd be that denomination. I believe the, the Baptists interpret the Scripture most clearly. That's why I'm a Baptist. But there are others out there that are doing God's work are not my enemy. I wouldn't ever join them, but I'm not going to oppose them. I need to show grace toward them. Moses was approached by Joshua in Numbers chapter 11. And Joshua says, there's a couple of guys in the camp that's prophesying. You need to stop them. And Moses said this, are you jealous for me? Don't be jealous for me. I wish that all God's people were prophets. The criteria for ministry is the preaching of the gospel in Jesus Christ name. To be great, God be gracious. And do you know what God's grace does? God's grace leads you, of course, to serve. And then when you serve, even if you serve, he says in verse 41, and you give a cup of cold water in my name. I mentioned this a moment ago, but I, I, I thought about this. Receive a child in my name, cast out a demon in my name, give a cup of cold water in my name. Now, I would say this is probably a little bit more significant in ministry to cast a demon out than is give a cup of cold water. But any job that's a job that's done for Jesus gets a reward. So you think, I got to have this position, I got to be this pastor, I got to have this church, it's got to be this big, I'm not going to take it, no. A cup of cold water in Jesus' name, casting out a demon in Jesus' name, receiving a child in Jesus' name, all gets a reward from the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't choose and pick what you will do or won't do, just get involved at the door God opens and serve God with all your heart, energy, and mind in the local church where God's put you right now. Find a place and get involved and serve the Lord and he will reward you. And his reward will be worth the reward. Some rewards aren't worth what you have to go through to get them. So I was in the sixth grade. Uh, they gave us candy bars to sell. I mean, we sold candy bars for school. I don't know why we did it, but I sold candy bars. I went from door to door at nighttime and after dark selling candy bars, not to raise money for the, for the school, but because they gave me a catalog with gifts inside of it. And if you sold so many candy bars, you got a gift. And you know what? It was a $2 magnifying glass. You know, I sold candy bars. I don't know how much money I made for the school, but I got my magnifying glass. It wasn't worth it. But whatever you do for Jesus, it's worth it. It's worth it because what it does in your soul to satisfy you right now, it's worth it for what's going to be waiting on you when you get to heaven. So give me a cup, let me serve somebody. Give me a lesson, let me teach somebody. Give me a child, let me watch somebody. Give me a chance, let me invite somebody. Let me serve. Want to be great? 
Be humble before God. Want to be great? Be gracious toward others. Lastly, if you want to be great, be aggressive toward sin. He goes on and, and continues, Jesus does, and connects verse 42 about, you know, making sure you take care of the least of these, the child or those who are marginalized. Don't treat them wrong because you had put a millstone around your neck, cast in the sea. And then he gives them these strong, strong words. He says this in verse 43. Just look in your Bible. Let me read these for us. If your hand cause you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter in life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that should never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I don't know about you, that, those verses are heavy verses. Now Jesus is not saying that you ought to maim your body because if you even cut your hands and your feet off, it's not going to deal with the root problem, which is your heart. What he's saying is you got to be aggressive towards sin. you got to be serious about getting sin out of your life and taking care of the sin that would come into your life. Dig out the root. Get, get serious. In other words, you can't just taper off a of sin. You can't just say, well, I, I'm getting a little bit better. I don't look at pornography, but just a couple times a week, I used to look at it every day. No, you, you can't caper off. You, you, you can't just ease out of it. You got to get drastic. You got to get serious. You got to destroy it. You got to kill it. You got to get rid of it. You got to be serious about what that is in your life that's draining your spiritual relationship with Jesus. Be serious about it. Get drastic about it. If something's leading you into sin, get rid of it and get rid of it today, now. Confess it. Deal with it. Look in your life, think about what's hurting your walk with God and kill it, destroy it, cut it out. If it's something you're doing with your hands, cut it off. If somewhere that you're going, your, your, your path is taking you by someone that's tempting you, then, then cut it off. Stop going that path. If you're, if you're visiting a site, if you're looking at something and your eyes are, are, are affecting your... The wise man said, my eye affects my heart. If you're looking at something, reading something, doing something that's affecting your walk with God, then he's saying, get rid of it. If you went to the doctor and they told you you had a tumor that was cancerous, what would you say was, let's get this out as soon as possible. When can you schedule me from, for surgery? You wouldn't say, well, I've grown attached to it. I'm going to hang on to it for a little longer. No, you want it gone. That's exactly how it must be with sin. You've got to be aggressive with sin. You've got to get broken. You've got to ask God for a spirit of repentance. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, I'm going to try harder. No, I'm talking about getting broken before God, asking for God's grace, a spirit of repentance, where you can lay it down, cut it off, and walk away from it, because only God's grace can bring that to pass inside of your life. I heard the story about this young man that walked up on top of a mountain. When he got to the top of the mountain, he heard a strange voice. He looked down, there was a snake there. It was a rattlesnake, and it spoke to him and said, it's cold up here. I'm about frozen. Pick me up, put me on your coat, take me down the mountain. And the young man said, I know you're kind. You're a rattlesnake. I'm not going to pick you up. You'll bite me. The snake said, no, no, I'll treat you differently. If you pick me up and take me down the mountain to a warm place, I won't bite you. The young man picked him up, took him down the mountain. And as soon as he set the snake down, it cold up and it struck him. The young man stepped back and said, you told me you'd treat me differently. You told me you wouldn't bite me. And the snake said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. Can I tell you, you can't tame a rattlesnake and you can't control sin. 
That's why you must not pick it up to begin with. You must not tamper with it to begin with. There are preachers and missionaries and church planners who lost their marriages, who've lost their family, who've lost their testimony because they thought they could handle something. There was a rattlesnake and it struck them and brought them down. If there's a habit in your life, an activity in your life, something has caused you to sin, break your fellowship with God, I beg you this morning, get it out of your life. If you're going to be greatly used by God, you got to be aggressive towards sin. You can't coddle it. You can't hang on to it. you got to lay it on the altar and you got to ask God's forgiveness. you got to ask Him to cut it off and you got to walk away. If you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody in your life that's not helping you walk with Jesus, they're not your future for ministry. Cut it off graciously. You can't do ministry effectively if you're hooked up with the wrong person. You say, well, i got to have somebody. Listen, worse than having nobody is having the wrong body. So be serious and be careful that that person helps you in your walk with God. If you're reading something, again, if you're looking at something, I just beg you to cut it off be serious about dealing with sin in your life. If you want to be greatly used by God, you got to be humble toward God. You need to be gracious toward others. You need to be aggressive toward sin. I hope today that we'll all take this challenge from Jesus to our own heart to be the disciples that he wants us to be. These guys went on to be used by God in a great way, I think, because they began to apply these things to their life. Would you pray with me? Bow with me. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you today for your word that always is a sword that does spiritual surgery on our heart, discerns our thoughts and intents of our heart. And we do want to be greatly used by you, but we want to be greatly used by you for the right reasons. Because we want to honor you, Lord, and make a difference for you in the place you put us. So help us to remember, Lord, always that you're great and we're not, and we want to be humble before you by putting others first, by serving others. We want to be gracious, Lord. Your team is bigger than we think, and you, you, you reward the smallest acts of service, so help us to serve you and be gracious in the way we serve you and gracious toward others. And help us not to allow sin in our life. Be, be aggressive in our daily walk with you to deal with the anger, deal with pride, deal with lust, deal with jealousy, whatever that sin is that, Lord, um, draws us away from you. Help us to be aggressive and confess it and deal with it that you can pour out your spirit on us and you can use us, Lord, and we'll praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.